to show himself strong in the lives of people. He has always done so through those who will give themselves fully and completely to him. Before giving the Ten Commandments, Moses commanded the people to consecrate themselves. Standing on the edge of the Jordan River, Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves fully to God, for he would do wonders among them. Jesus calls us to love him, not with part, but with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Nothing held back, nothing separated, not 10%, not 90%, 100%. All for his use, all for his name, all for his will, and all for his glory. To those who do, he will show himself strong with unmistakable, Amen. It's a special morning already. I'm excited for all that God is going to continue to do here this morning. Amen. You know, God has designed life with a pattern, and he works in that pattern. He's chosen to work in that pattern. And if we observe his ways, we can walk in his ways. So we know that darkness comes before the dawn. We know that tension comes before release. We know that trials come before endurance. We know that the cross comes before the resurrection. We know that brokenness comes before healing. And we know that consecration, being set apart, comes before greatness. When God sets out to do something great, he looks for those who will set themselves apart for his purposes. And every great man and woman of faith throughout the scripture was in that place where they set themselves apart to be fully and wholly used by him. The thing about us is that we all have a will and that will is strong. That what the Bible calls our flesh, the way that we think and operate. And the flesh can be pretty doggone tough, right? The flesh doesn't want to do what God wants us to do. The flesh resists. The flesh wants to do its thing. And the flesh has to be wrestled to the mat. The flesh has to be pinned down. The flesh has to be rendered powerless if we're going to walk in the spirit, if we're going to follow God and obey him. That's his purposes. That's his plan. That's the way it works. In fact, it's so strong that the New Testament says that we have to put to death our flesh. You can't just try to negotiate with it. You can't try to walk alongside with it. You have to totally crucify, put to death the deeds of the flesh if you want to walk and follow after Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if anyone come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. It's a life of death. It's a life of crucifying the flesh, of denying ourself. And the message of the world today is everything opposite of that. The world says, give in to your desires, give in to your urges. In fact, they are good and anything that would tell you not is bad. But the gospel is just the opposite. 
that all of those natural urges must be crucified if we want to walk and follow Jesus Christ. And that requires obedience, complete obedience, not partial, not 10%, not halfway, not even 90%, but full-on, complete obedience. This is what Jesus was doing in the garden before he would go to the cross and experience the resurrection. He had to go to the garden of surrender, of prayer, and agonizing prayer, and saying, not my will, but your will be done, because you are Lord over all and over the all. God has for us a life that he intends for us to walk in, a life filled with joy and peace and power and purpose and knowing him. But to get to that place, once we've come to faith in him, it requires complete obedience, a complete willingness to do whatever he asks. In fact, that is what's necessary before you, can, before you and I can really wear the crown of life. If we can put on the crown of joy and real peace with God and real purpose in our life. Today, our message is called Complete Obedience Before a Crown. As I said, God has a, a crown for us to wear. You know, we begin the Christian life as infants, as children, as we saw here. We're all born again as children. But you, you have to know, we have to remember, infancy is not our destiny. Children are sweet. Children are great to snuggle with. Children are great to feed and hold and cuddle. But you and I aren't meant to live our lives in spiritual infancy because an infant has to be fed all the time or they get upset. An infant has to have their diaper changed or they get upset. An infant has to be cuddled and coddled or they get upset. And sadly, there's a lot of Christians who are still in their infancy and they have to be coddled and fed all the time and cleaned and clothed because they haven't accepted the responsibility of maturity. Maturity is our destiny, not infancy. Children are cute, love them. We got a bunch of them in our family. But infancy is not your destiny. Maturity is your destiny. You and I are meant to walk in maturity, to wear the crown of wisdom to wear the crown of grace, to wear the crown of those who know truth and walk in truth. That's why our message today is complete obedience before a crown. If you want to get a crown, you have to be willing to walk in complete obedience. Our story today comes from 1 Samuel. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
I want to show you this week's uh, Bible reading plan. Um, many have been keeping up with this. This is great. We published it on our social media. But if you want to take a picture of the screen, you're welcome to follow along this week. Uh, daily Bible reading fits uh, our message on Sunday. So all that you're going to read this week on this screen uh, will follow up the message today. And you can ask the question as you go through this there at the bottom of the screen. What blessings does God promise to those who will fully obey him? You'll see these in these passages that make a great devotional series for you this week. So 1 Samuel 15, I talked to you last week, and we saw the story last week uh, of David. But today we're, we're going backwards in the story. We get a little bit of a backstory. Before David was king over Israel, God had another king that he had chosen. And his name was Saul. Saul was the man who was chosen to be king over Israel. Saul was a strong man. Strong. Saul was well-known. Saul was good-looking, the Bible says. And he was one of those choices that everybody would look at and think, yeah, that dude, he'd make a great king. And so he is chosen king. And he begins his reign by being strong. He begins his reign by seeking the Lord, by being humble. He begins his reign by choosing to do what God is asking him to do. He's going out and he's protecting his people from their enemies. And they are routing all of his enemies from God's chosen promised land. One group in particular we're going to see today was a group of people called the Amalekites. They had been a, a thorn in the side of Israel for some time. And they had been there in the promised land before Israel ever got there. And God had told Moses, Joshua, that as they went into the promised land, they were to remove all of the enemies of God. But they were not fully obedient. And so now these Amalekites are still in the land causing trouble. And Saul is about to get a message from God about how to deal with these Amalekites. So two characters today, the story is simple in that respect. Saul, the king, military king, provider king, national leader king, and Samuel. He is the prophet. So there's a prophet and there's the king. And God will speak to the prophet to speak to the king to give him direction. Now Samuel, he hasn't ever really been in favor of this whole king thing because God had told his people they weren't supposed to have kings. He would be their king. But God's people said, we want to be like all the other nations. They have kings. They sounded just like that, the Bible says. <clears throat> and God says, all right, it's not what I want. But if that's what you want, have yourself a king. And they did. They got Saul. And Samuel, he wasn't so big on the deal. But he said, okay, God, if that's what you want, I'll go along with it. So our story starts today in verse 1 of chapter 15. I'm not going to read every verse in this chapter. I'm going to skip around a little bit for the sake of our time. So you'll see me hopping around a little bit and skipping elements of the story. It's not because I'm trying to avoid those parts of the story. It's just the sake of time. All right, verse 1. Here we go. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel. Saul is about to be given a message from Samuel. Samuel says, you know, you remember the day I came and God 
told me to anoint you king. He's setting him up here. Samuel is getting ready to tell something to Saul and Samuel reminds him, hey, you remember God told me to come anoint you to be king. The next part of verse one says this. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Samuel says, Saul, I'm about to tell you something and I wanna go ahead and put you in the right spot first. You need to hear what I'm saying because this is God speaking and I want you to heed it. Listen to it completely and obey it completely, right? Hear it and do it. Hear all of it, do all of it. Hear me fully and obey God fully. And here's what he says. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. The Amalekites were a wicked people, a cruel people who had for generations turned their backs on God. Their iniquity was full. They had totally hardened their hearts against the Lord. And here, God gives the command to Saul to remove them from the land, everything that they have. Don't keep anything that's theirs. Destroy it all. This is the command from God to Saul, the king. Very clear, very specific, very thorough. I'm gonna skip down to verse seven. It says, and Saul attacked the Amalekites he went and did what he was told to do. Verse nine. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. And the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Saul said, hey, let's go in, let's attack, let's do this thing. They got there, it's like, eh, you know, hey, it might be cool if we just kept some of this stuff. I mean, look, they got some great sheep, some great oxen, and some lamb. Hey, let's just keep some of this stuff. And the king, he could serve a good purpose for us. Saul, in this moment, is saying, I think I got a better plan than what you have got. I'll figure this out. I got this. I'll work this whole thing. And he and the people came up with their plan. Key point being, they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. They were unwilling to fully remove them from the land. They were unwilling to say, God, even though it seems different than what we might do, We're gonna do what we wanna do. We're gonna do what we want and we're going to keep part of what's out there. You know, God calls us to walk in perfect righteousness with him, in full obedience to him. But sometimes we can get like Saul and say, well, I mean, you know, this, this thing that I do, this place that I go, these people that I relate with, this situation I'm in, I mean, you know, what can it hurt? It can't be that big a deal. It can't be that bad. 
And God says, I'm calling my people to complete obedience, just as he was calling Saul to complete obedience. And Saul and the people were unwilling to get to that place. Verse 13, Samuel finds out about it, the prophet God speaks to him. And Samuel, at the instruction of God, goes to confront Saul because Saul has not done what's right. Saul has done some, but Saul has not done all. Saul did what he wanted to do, but not all that God called him to do. And so Samuel goes to confront Saul. And it says in verse 13 that Saul said to Samuel when he saw him coming, blessed are are you of the Lord. I have performed all the commandment of the Lord. If that doesn't sound like a guilty conscience right away, right? I mean, Samuel hadn't even said anything yet. He hadn't even said, hey, Saul, I need to, well, blessed be the name of the Lord. I've performed everything God called me to do, right? What is about to happen in the rest of this story is a complete and thorough list of what happens when we decide to go our own way do our own thing and not completely obey. Saul is the master of it. In fact, when you look at uh, a lot of uh, interesting psychological, pathological behaviors today, you can just about find every one of them in what Saul is gonna do. It already starts right here because Saul is overplaying his hand, trying to appear super spiritual and religious when he knows he has not obeyed God, right? So it's kind of like people who've had a pretty rough engagement in sin in the week, that's putting it nicely, but they walk in on a Sunday morning like, well, praise the Lord, brother, how are you today? That's kind of what this is. This is Saul acting like he hadn't done anything wrong knowing everything he's done wrong and walks up to the man he knows God has sent to confront him and says, blessed are you of the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. Try to sound spiritual. This is what people do. This is the tactic of trying to avoid complete obedience, religious overtalk instead of just honest talk. If you've had a rough week, It is good and right to say, hey, it's been a rough week, man. I'm glad you're here. That's not what Saul said. Saul put on a front. It goes on, verse 14, it says, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? Samuel says, if you've obeyed everything that the Lord commanded you, why do I hear a whole lot of sheep right now? Why do I hear a whole lot of oxen right now? Saul, quit trying to act like you hadn't done anything wrong when it is so obvious what you have done. It's another tactic of people when they are attempting to uh, have incomplete obedience is trying to dismiss, avoid, cover up what's so obvious in their life. And I'm gonna say, throughout the message today, what people do, but I'm talking about us as people. Because Saul believed in the Lord God 
and Saul was called to wear the crown. But Saul had this moment in his life where he would walk in disobedience. And that is bad enough, but what is worse in the story is how long Saul will deny what he has done. At any point along the way, all Saul had to do was say, God, forgive me, I have, I've blown it. And there would have been mercy and forgiveness. And I think a crown could have remained for him. Story goes on, it says in verse 15, that Saul said, well, they brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Two tactics here that people use. One is blame. Oh, well, they, they brought them. I mean, I, I, hey, not on me. They brought them. They brought all those sheep and oxen. It's all on them. They brought the best of them. And so blame, shifting the blame, right? But look at this other one here that is so deceptive and so, it just really gets me when people do this. They brought them to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. A little bit of manipulation, a little bit of guilt. But hey, it's what you wanted. They brought it. They just did it. You know, trying to excuse themselves out of the deal, trying to remove all responsibility from the deal. But they did it, not me. For, it's for your God. Wasn't for anything else, but just for you, Samuel. Verse 15 goes on and it says, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Look what all we did. We did all of this. It doesn't matter how much good you have done over here if you have chosen to disobey God in what he asked you to do, amen? 10% obedience is not obedience. 50% obedience is not obedience. 90% obedience to what God asked is not obedience. Obedience, this is what we told our kids and our grandchildren today. Obedience is doing exactly what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, and with the right heart attitude. That is for children, so that when they grow up to be adults, They'll do that. That's us. We are called to walk as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, doing exactly what he calls us to do, when he calls us to do it, and with the right heart attitude. And it's, you don't come along and say, oh, I know I didn't do that, but look at all this other stuff I did do. No. God called you to full obedience, and Samuel's trying to, confront Saul in this and Saul saying, oh, but look what we did do. Look what we did utterly destroy. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Mm. This is how you have to deal with narcissistic people, by the way. This is how you have to deal with people who make excuses. This is how you have to do, deal with people who try to psychologically manipulate, manipulate you. You just have to say, stop talking. Hello? Hello? Yeah, be quiet and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. This is what Samuel says to him. Saul, I want you to stop talking. I don't wanna hear any more what you got to say. Stop talking because I wanna tell you what the Lord told me last night. And Saul said, speak on. 
Wow, come on, Saul, dude. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Samuel's saying, you know, when you were first given the crown, it was when you were little in your own eyes and God was big in your eyes. You humbled yourself. You're willing to do whatever he asked. You're willing to follow him anywhere. But then something happened, Saul. It was then that he anointed you king when you were humble. But something has happened, Saul. It has switched. You were small and he was big in your eyes. But now, Saul, you're big in your eyes and God is little in your eyes. You think your ways are better than his ways. You've chosen your ways over his ways. You think you have a bigger plan, better plan than he does. You think you can get away with just doing some of what he asks instead of all of what he asks. Saul is hardening his heart. At any point along the way, he could have repented and said, you're right, I failed. But it has not happened in the story yet. It says in verse 18, now the Lord, this is Samuel speaking, says, now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Saul, why didn't you do what God asked? Why didn't you completely obey? Why didn't you just follow through with what he had asked? You're a man of great responsibility. You're a king. You have great calling. You have great responsibility before God. Why didn't you do what he asked? Verse 19 continues. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? In other words, it's, it's wordplay here that says, why is it that when you went in to attack the people, the thing that you saw was all their possessions and you went for them first? Why did you swoop down to take for yourself out of this deal instead of do what God called you to do in this situation? Why was it all about you instead of about God? Why was it all about what you could get out of it instead of what God had called you to? Why did you have this incomplete obedience? Why were you willing to sacrifice your crown for this moment? Verse 20, it says, And Saul then said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. Mm. There's a term that's used today uh, called gaslighting. Have you heard that term? It's used to describe someone that you have a conversation with, maybe even a confrontational conversation, and you're confronting them in the same way Samuel is doing with Saul. And they start talking back to you. And the way they talk with you, they make you think you have just lost your mind somehow. Like you totally saw it all wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And you start questioning your own sanity in the situation. Has that ever happened to you? It's okay to nod your head yes. That 
is called gaslighting. And it troubled me for a long time with why is it called gaslighting? What in the world? There was a movie in 1944 called Gaslight. And in that movie, the husband is attempting to get his wife's inheritance. And the way he is going about doing it is trying to convince her she has lost her mind and have her committed to a hospital. And so comes the term today, gaslighting, where someone tries to manipulate you, persuade you, distort the story, lie to you, make you think you have lost your ever-loving mind. And that's exactly what Samuel is doing here. I mean, Saul is doing to Samuel here. I went and did exactly what the Lord told me to do. I obeyed. I went on the mission which the Lord sent me. He goes on and says, and I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. I did everything. I did the right thing. But the people, verse 21, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. Oh, it's them. They should have done all this. It's not on me. It's all their fault. And he, they did it to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Saul, you've said this once already, but this is what we'll do when we're trying to get our way. We'll just keep repeating our defense. We'll just keep repeating the blame. We'll just keep coming up with the excuses. We'll just keep finding a way to not do the very thing God has called us to do because that is how strong our flesh is. That is how ruthless it is. That is how deceptive it is. It doesn't like to be caught. It doesn't like to be told what to do. It doesn't like to have to submit itself. It doesn't like to have to humble itself. And it'll do everything it can to try to point blame to someone else, justify itself, and make you think you have lost your ever-loving mind. Verse 22. So, Samuel said... Samuel's about to get very blunt with Saul because Saul is not repenting. Here's what Samuel says. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Saul knew God. Saul knew God's ways. And Samuel says, let me ask you something, Saul. Do you think that God delights in sacrifices as much as he delights in obeying his voice? Saul, which do you think is greater, to offer God sacrifices or obey him fully? Because Saul's trying to play this off as, well, we kept all those things so we could offer them to the Lord instead of just walking in full obedience. The obvious answer is God as we'll soon see in the passage. God does not delight in all of our sacrifices when they don't come with full obedience to him. He do, he's not interested in it. He's not interested in us coming to him on a Sunday morning and singing worship to him when all week long we can sing in praise to ourselves. He's not as interested 
in you giving your money, a portion of it to him, when you're not willing to glorify him in obeying him and how you spend your money. He's not interested in you giving some of your time and sacrificing it to him if you're not willing to give your whole life to him. He's not interested in the religious sacrifice. He's interested in full obedience. And Samuel is calling Saul out. He says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Saul, I don't care what it is that you gathered up, that you amassed, that you kept for yourself, that you connived, that you schemed, that you thought would be better. This is not about you, Saul, and God is not interested in your sacrifices. He's interested in your obedience, your heart fully, wholly, completely surrendered and in obedience to him. This is what he is interested in. He's looking more for what we will do in heeding his ways, listening to and obeying than anything else. And, Saul, and Samuel continues with some harsh words to Saul. He says this, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion. Rebellion is when we choose to go our own way, do our own thing, when we stiff-arm God, when we say, I'm not gonna do that. And Samuel says, when you do that, even as a follower of God, when you rebel, that is the same as the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft is opening yourself up to evil spirits. Rebellion is opening the situation up to your own personal will. And Samuel says, it is the same sin, Saul. Samuel says, when you are stubborn, it's the same as iniquity and idolatry. When you stand there and put your foot on the ground and say, no, I will not do what God says. I will not surrender fully. I will not fully obey him. I will not walk in complete obedience. He says that is the same sin as idolatry. You might as well have picked up an idol from the market square and brought it into your home and bowed down to it. Because Saul, what you're doing is putting yourself on the altar and bowing to yourself. It's the same sin. Samuel doesn't, cost, doesn't cut any slack. And then he gives him the harshest words in verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Saul, this crown was meant for you. It was given to you to wear. There was so much more ahead. There were greater glories, victories, promises, delights, freedom for the land, influence for you, blessings upon your family. But Saul, because you have resisted the word of the Lord and you have resisted repenting, you have justified and defended and blamed 
and gaslighted and shifted the focus, pointed out all that you've done right. Because you've done all of that, Saul, and because you are unwilling to be fully broken before the Lord, this will be removed from you. And someone else will wear the crown that was meant for you. Now, this is some very sobering words for us. It's a call to complete obedience in following after Jesus. To be in the place where we say, God, I'm gonna keep myself small in my eyes and you big in my eyes. I will do whatever you say and if that means reprioritizing my life, putting you first, giving you the first fruits of my day, my week, my possessions, my talents, my thoughts, my emotions, my relationships, my purpose, my work, my driving, my talking, if that means all of that changes, I'm in 100%. I will completely obey you with all that I have within me. I will not be like Saul and attempt to justify why I'm not, blame others that I'm not, and try to make myself look good. I will be humble before you and put you first. Because this is what it takes to wear this crown, the crown of peace in our own life, the crown of influence in your family, the crown of purpose and influence in this nation today. God is looking for those who will be all in full surrendered, let him be Lord of thee all. Because to them, he has promised to make them the head and not the tail, to protect them, to bless them, to use them, to pour out his favor in their lives. So it brings us to a very pointed moment. None of us want to see what God destined for us to wear be given to someone else. I don't want to lose what God has for me. I want to walk in full obedience to him. And the heart of Jesus meets us in this spot right here, right now and says, if you will confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It means we have to be willing to break and bow and yield and obey, regardless of the cost. So, let me ask you to bow your heads. 
And in this moment, we begin the wrestling match. In this moment, we begin the process of obeying God, no matter how difficult the task. We begin the process of putting our flesh low and letting it not have power to surrender and yield and make ourselves available fully to him. So I'm gonna pray, then we're gonna sing, and then what we're gonna do is make this space here available for us to pray. This is the moment to wrestle. This is the moment to pray. This is the moment to yield. This is the moment to not walk away from until you have finished the yielding process to say, I will fully and completely obey you, God. And I know God's ways enough to know that he is speaking right now to every one of us. There are areas he is speaking to and calling you to obey him in. And I know his spirit is powerful enough to call us as well as provide forgiveness and hope. So don't miss this moment. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, in this moment, we want to have a heart that is yielded and surrendered. That we might even be like our Lord Jesus on the night that he was arrested, where we wrestle in prayer to the point that we say, not my will, but your will be done. God, I pray this room would now be a place where we yield ourselves, surrender ourselves, be willing to fully and completely obey whatever you have to say to us, that we may do the work that you've called us to and now walk in truth. So Father, pour out your spirit here in this place today. May it be a place of freedom to seek you, pray, be broken, yielded, surrendered, and walk in complete obedience. Father, we pray all this in the name of Jesus.